Our scripture this morning will be on this uh, New Year's almost is Psalm 84, which is a psalm of pilgrimage. It's a psalm that was quoted by men and women as they went up to the temple to worship. We don't know who wrote this psalm, but it is a beautiful psalm. Just, I, just as an aside, I, uh, we have three grandchildren, and whenever we have a grandchild, I pick a psalm to pray over through the years for my grandchild. This is one of the three psalms that we've chosen. This is my little granddaughter's psalm. We hope there are six or seven more psalms coming, but for right now, we've got three. Hear the psalm. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My flesh longs, or my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow I nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altar, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is the son of the shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. There's no worship uh, sermon guide this morning, so let me give you my thesis. My thesis is, so you know where I'm going, is that believers will flourish when they worship well. As the psalmist says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And God-saturated worshipers bring hope and joy where they go. They go from strength to strength, as the psalmist says. This flourishing is maintained by understanding the character of God and the privilege of being a believer. As the psalm ends, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So I want you guys to flourish. I want to flourish. I want to abound. I want to prosper in the way of the Lord. I want to be filled with the reality of Christ. I want that for you. I want to be someone who lives well. There's a great statement from a book, one of my favorite books called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And it says this in, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. In other words, it is the way it is supposed to be under the hand of God. So I want to flourish. Unfortunately, many times we don't flourish. I read two accounts this week, both true, sadly true. The first account is a pastor said a young woman came to see him whose mother had died unexpectedly. And the family asked her to give a eulogy. She said, I've never given a eulogy. Tell me about it. She said, well, eulogy, usually you highlight a few characteristics of the deceased 
and how that's been a blessing to you. And he said her face, she kind of dropped, and she said, what did your mother do well? And she said, well, she kept the bird feeder in the backyard field. He said, what else? That's it. He said, that's it? Yeah. That's sad. Another story. Graveside service, true story. Paul Bears put the casket, has been resurfaced as they're leaving, the visiting preacher, pastor. One of the Paul Bears said, let me tell you something, pastor. That, that family is a lot better off now than they were a week ago. This man was a cruel man. Listen, when your pallbearers say that, you're in bad shape. A lot of people don't live well, and, and they certainly don't finish well. Let me give you a few verses here, just two promises from the Bible. This is Isaiah 58. Verse 10 says, if you give yourself to hunger and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your gloom will become like the midday. Verse 11, and, and the Lord will guide you continually. And satisfy your desire in the scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. A watered garden. Or Psalm 52 verse 8 says, but, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I want that for us. Green olive tree, well-watered, gardened, flourishing. So, so this psalm is about how to flourish or live well in the Lord. So there's a progression here. First of all, it says, first of all, it says, oh, oh, oh Lord, how, how lovely is your dwelling place, O oh Lord of hosts. Lovely, beautiful, desirable to the soul and the mind and the heart. God is Lovely. His dwelling place is lovely. He is altogether beautiful. He's glorious. He's kind. How, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Why? Verse 11 says this. One reason. God is lovely because it says the Lord is a sun and a shield. So he nourishes and he protects. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from he who walks uprightly. So, so my question is, do you see the Lord God as glorious, as desirable in his Trinitarian splendor? Can you, can you say with David of old, who did not fully understand Jesus Messiah, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or can you understand the, the John 10 where Jesus says about the good shepherd, he says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Or in verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will find pasture, pasture. I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Do you see that? Do you glory in that? Or can you say with the apostle Paul in Romans 8, 
He who did not withhold his own son from us will not also along with us graciously give us all things. So see, if I'm going to flourish, I've got to understand that God is lovely and glorious and desirable. And in this passage, David builds on the character of God. It's very interesting. He uses all these, he says, O Lord of hosts, four times in, the, in this verse, of this, this, this psalm. Four, four times. O Lord of hosts means the, the God of the heavenly armies. God all-powerful. It says, you're the Lord of the host. You are the living God. You are my king. You are my God. You are the God of Jacob, the God of all history. You are a son and a shield. You are, the again, the Lord of hosts four times. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, David is building on the character of God as being glorious and kind and powerful and altogether lovely. And secondly, his emotions are involved. Listen to this. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My flesh and my heart sing for joy to the living God. And I, I read that I go, am I emotionally tapped in to the wonder and glory and goodness of God in such a way that said, God, I want to see you more. In fact, my soul pants or longs or faints to be in your presence. And I think of First Peter, where Peter is just rehearsing the greatness of the living God. And he says in chapter 1, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And, and, and though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. You love him. You're filled with joy, inexpressible joy. He said, because you have set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus comes again, verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 22, you've purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere and fervent love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. These, these emotions that flow from a heart that sings the reality of Christ. And then he says in chapter 2, you get rid of, your, of malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And, and, and like a newborn babe, you long for the pure milk of the word so you can grow in your salvation because you've tasted that the Lord is good and lovely, and desirable, and glorious. Therefore, your emotions are involved. Now, listen, listen to me. This hymn is sung in the context of community with other people going up to worship. So, so if, if I'm going to flourish, I've got to not only see God as lovely and have emotional involvement, but I've got to be emotionally involved with other people in community. God is a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has made us in his image. He's made us for relationship. I flourish as I'm with believers who encourage me. You need to be in community. There's an article I read this week in a national post. It's entitled, Don't Go Bowling Alone. It's a kind of a restatement of a book by a guy named Robert Putnam from Harvard who wrote uh, 20 years ago. He talked about that in the uh, 60s and 70s, some of us will remember this, there were bowling leagues all over America. And so people went bowling on a certain night of the week and they wore these really ugly tacky shirts with their names stitched upon their pocket. And they drank beer and ate pizza and had a great time and whatever you did in the 60s, we didn't high five, well, I don't know what we did, we clapped, I guess, I don't know, but you, you were together, you, you were together. And, and Putnam says that bowling leagues died in America in the 90s. And this recent article said that the Elks Club of America has half the members today it had 20 years ago. That the parent 
Teacher Association has one-fourth of the membership today it had 20 years ago. And it's so common, the thesis of the article is that, is that communities are not flourishing in America because of the technological revolution we're in our little space. George Barna released a survey four months ago, five months ago, about the church in America. And he said 30 years ago, if someone said, what does it mean to be a regular attender at a church? 30 years ago, man, well, you're at the church or you're with a group of people from the church community group twice a week. Now people have defined that as twice a month. Huge drop. But remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, the fourth commandment hadn't changed in 30 years. So I, I say to you, we need community. I flourish as I understand the character of God and I'm emotionally engaged in the context of community. And then David goes somewhere, this is, or excuse me, the psalmist goes somewhere that I think is very interesting. I've, I've, I've pondered this psalm, I've gone, what does this mean? So in the midst of all this, he says this, even the sparrow finds a home. And the swallow, a nest for herself where she can lay her young next to your altar, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. So he looks at birds and he elicits this praise, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. I'm going, wow, that, that, that's, that's interesting. I think there's two things here. Let me mention them. The first is this. It's kind of a prequel trailer to what Jesus will say in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew 10, Jesus says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your heavenly Father's knowledge. But even the hair on your head is numbered. Take heart, therefore, you're worth more than many sparrows. So, so I, I think the psalmist is saying, listen, this great glorious God who is good and lovely and kind, loves birds. And how much more does he love men and women and boys and girls made in his image? It's amazing. The second thing I think he's saying here is this. Creation rightly understood awakens praise. Creation rightly stood awakens praise. I think of an old hymn that's entitled, This is My Father's World. One stanza goes like this. This is my father's world the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. And I, I tell you, brothers and sisters, shame on us to live in a city as beautiful as Charleston, South Carolina, and not occasionally, every day, stop and say, glorious is your creation, O oh God. Glorious. And I think the psalmist is saying there, he's, he, 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 even, even the sparrows find a home, and the swallows a nest for herself where she can lay her young. C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called Letters to Malcolm. And let me just read a paragraph. It's just so good. It's so good. Lewis says this. I, I have tried since that moment to make every pleasure a channel of adoration. I don't mean simply by giving thanks for it. One must, of course, give thanks. But I mean something far more. 
How shall I put it? Listen. We cannot hear the song of a bird simply as a sound. Its meaning or message comes with it inevitably. Just as one's, one can't see a familiar word in print as a mere visual pattern. In other words, it says we, we, don't, we don't hear the sound of a bird as just a sound. It is a gift from God. And I read that and I thought about people who are brilliant and gifted and have PhDs in advanced sciences and they'll go out and they'll study birds and they'll take the bird apart and show how the vocal range does this and how the migratory patterns do this and how this and that. But, but, they, but, but they don't get to the basic glorious reality of God made the birds. God gave the bird songs. Then Lewis says this. When the wind roars, I don't just hear the roar, I hear the wind. He says, this sweet whisper, this, 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 this sweet air whispers of the country from whence it blows. It is a message we know we are being touched by finger of that right hand at which there are pleasures forevermore. The wind is a messenger of the mercy and the goodness of God. As John Calvin said in the Institutes, that the, all creation is a theater of the glory and goodness of God. So it awakens praise. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, as I look at the birds. So the character of God, the goodness of God, the loveliness of God, emotively engaged with the people of God, and you observe patterns around you that give Worship to God. So that's the first blessed. Blessed are those who live in your house ever singing your praise. And then he comes to the second blessed. It says this. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Tell you what I think that means. Their strength is in you. They have a vision of the character of God, and their heart, and their, their, whose heart is the highway to Zion. I, I think it means that their hearts are open to the, to the teaching and the ministry of the living God through the Word of God, that, that the Word of God comes to their life, and, and their heart is like a highway. They receive, and they receive, and they receive. Their, their heart is open to the things of God because they have seen the beauty and the greatness of God. Listen. Emotionally engaged worshipers are joyful, forward-leaning people who bring laughter and well-being to those around them. Listen to verse 6 and 7. I love this. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rains cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. So what does that mean? We say, what is the valley of Baca? We don't know. We don't know. But we know from the context of the psalm that the valley of Baca is a dry and arid place. And as these pilgrims go through, they're so filled with the character and joy of the Lord that they make it a place of springs. They go from strength to strength. Until each appears before God in Zion. Here, here's, here's a plea, a, a plea to those of us who are a little older in the Lord. Go from strength to strength. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Don't stand still. Don't lose your saltiness. This is what Jesus says in Luke 14. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its Taste, 
how shall its saltiness be restored? It's not showing up here. These, these things, anybody out there? Anyway, that's Luke 14. Should be up there. So, so my issue is don't lose your saltiness. Go forward in strength. I, they go from strength to strength. I, I, I want that. So the story's told of, you know, some people, some people, and there, there are people here in my life that have, that have gone through valleys of Baca with me and they've made it a place of springs. Thank you. We, we have those people. In our, there are other people who aren't. Stories told of a woman who was getting her hair done. The hairdresser said, um, what's going on? And she said, well, I'm so excited. My husband and I are taking a trip to Rome next week. Uh, we've been planning this. We are so excited. And she said, oh, did that last year with my husband. He said, the flight was, she said, the flight was horrible. The food was bad. The city was dirty. The people were unkind. We hated it. Oh. So, okay, so she came back a couple, few weeks later. Hair was being done. Hair just, oh, tell me about Rome. She said, oh, it was incredible. Got to the airport and they'd overbooked, so they, they bumped my husband out of first class. So we had waited on his hand and foot all the way to Rome. It was great. Got there, the city was clean, the people were so kind, the food. And, you know, maybe silly, but our husband and I, before we went, said, you know, when we go to the Vatican, we'd like to meet the Pope. And she said, yeah, right, and you and me and other people. He says, but you know what happened? We were standing in line going into the Sistine Chapel, and a Swiss guard, you know, the guys who wear the funky hat and stuff, they came up and they tapped us and they said, you know, we do this sporadically, but the Pope would like to have a chance to meet just an occasional person here. Could, could you two come? And we had a private audience with the Pope just for three minutes, but... We got to meet him, and he was very nice. And she said, unbelievable. What did he say to you? He said, who did that terrible haircut? <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> but that's not a true story. But, <laughs> but, but uh, my question, are you the person, as you go through the Valley of Baca, you make it a place of springs? Do you have such a vision of the reality of God that you go through the valley of Baca and you make it a place of springs? Are you a person who's joyful because you see the character of God? Undoubtedly, one of the two or three greatest teachers in the history of the church is a man named Augustine. Augustine died in 430. He was raised in uh, a home by a mom who was godly and a dad who was not. He lived a life of immorality for many years. He received a PhD in rhetoric. A brilliant man was involved in a group called the Manichees that he found incredibly unsatisfying. And his mother would plead for him and pray for him. And so Augustine, at the age of 31, 32, moved to Milan to take up a professorship at a university there. And he was introduced to a man named Ambrose. And this is from the Confessions of Augustine, chapter 5, or book 5. It's an incredible statement. Augustine says, to, to Milan I came, and Ambrose, the bishop, known to the whole world as among the best of men, 
a devout servant who was eloquent. And then he said this. This has nothing to do. I just, I just love it when people say stuff like this. If I can get it to come up. Anyway, I'll just read it to you. He said, this Ambrose um, did dispense to the people the flower of thy wheat, the gladness of thy oil, and the sobering intoxication of thy wine. <laughs> that's nothing to want to say. I just thought that's pretty cool when people write like that. And then he says this, to him I was led so that I might know the living Christ. And he says this, that man of God received me as a father. He showed me a kindness on my coming. Thereafter, I began to love him at first indeed, not as a teacher of the truth, but as a person who was kind towards me. And I listened diligently to him preaching to the people, not with that intention that I ought to have had, but as it were, trying to catch him in his eloquence, not believing what he said. But I hung on his words because he was kind to me. And I thought, here's, here's maybe the greatest teacher in the history of the church who was one to faith in Christ by a man who was gifted in his speaking, but who was just a man of kindness. A man who, had, who would go through the valley of Baca and make it a place of springs. To go from strength to strength. So I'm dealing with this passage, thinking about it Friday, writing down these notes and rehearsing it. And there's a wonderful family in our church named Clinton Michelle Cole. She's in her late 30s. She was. Been praying for her healing. And I got a text that they just taken Michelle to hospice, this beautiful hospice center down here off of Long Point, a wonderful facility. And so I went down there and walked into the hospice room, and there was the husband on one side of the bed, her father on the other, her mom standing there, her brother, and had two small children. And first of all, people say to me frequently, because I do this a lot, what do you say? I don't, I don't know what you say. I have no idea what you say. Except you stand there with them, and you weep with them. That's what you do. So I go in there, and uh, she died an hour after I was there. And so uh, I'm, we, I hug them and we talk and they're telling me what's going on. And then the husband says to me, by the way, how are those grandchildren? I thought, please, no, I just thought, how, how does somebody live in such a way that they think about other people in times like this? That was amazing to me. And, uh, and, and as, as I stood there and I, I was... I was weeping, but I heard him talk about her faith in Christ, and I heard him rejoicing that they had 11 years of marriage, and that heaven awaits, and that the parents rejoiced they had a daughter of this caliber, and I left, and I thought, I went into this, this room that was a desert of death. It's a desert of death. But it became a valley of Baca with wellsprings. And only the living Christ can do that. And I thought, Lord, let me be someone who 
as you walk through the valley of Baca, and we're going to, listen, we're going to go through the valley of Baca, brothers and sisters. There are people here today who've been through deep valleys of Baca in the last few months. But as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rains cover it with pools, and they go from strength to strength because they're going to appear before God in Zion. It's amazing. And then it comes to this part very quickly, this um, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, verses 10 to 12, the last blessed. It says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a, a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does this good God withhold from those who walk before him. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. So 2017 will go down for many things. But it's going to go down as a year of uh, the Me Too movement. Time Magazine just two weeks ago listed 95, and biographed 95 different men accused of being perverse with women. Some have denied it. Many have said it's true. Of course, we had the, the greatest perverser, potentially, in many ways, die a few months ago in Hugh Hefner. We've had a string of names released. Uh, the Harvey Weinstein, Representative Conyers, Senator Franken, Bill O'Reilly, Charlie Rose, Sylvester Stallone, Kevin Spacey, Matt Lauer. All, all are men who pursued women as if it were a sport of conquest. And let me tell you something. Those men have never known the covenantal love of a woman who loved them for years and years. And there's death in that. There's death in the conquest. There are people here who have walked in tenderness and love for 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 years. In my mom and dad's case, 69 years who know the joy of marriage as God intended it to be, with his bumps and bruises and ups and downs. And you look at them and you say, you know, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. At the Playboy Mansion in Chicago or Los Angeles or Walterboro, wherever they are, they're shouting places. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold. Do you see that, God? As you see that, God, you walk through the valley of Baca and you make it a place of springs. This is a glorious psalm. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the the unknown writer of this psalm, we know you inspired it, but thank you that he was so fixated on the character of God. Thank you that you said four times, O Lord of hosts, O Lord of the armies, my King, my God, the God of Jacob, the God of history. 
And thank you because he knew you. There was an emotional involvement with you and with other people. And thank you that even he looked at the, the, the most rudimentary part of creation. Beautiful birds, little birds. And he gloried in that. And thank you that as we get a vision of a great God, that as we walk through the valley of Baca, we indeed will make it a place of springs. And that's a blessed place to be. Thank you that blessed is the man or the woman or the boy or the girl who trusts in you. That part of their blessedness is understanding that you and your triune beauty are a sun and a shield that you bestow favor and honor. You're that type of God, and we know you through Jesus. May this year be filled with the reality of Christ, with kingdom advancement, with joy and hope, because you're the God of all glory in Jesus' name. Amen.